Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we discuss the most interesting, compelling seafood news of the week. We've been on hiatus, but we are back now. I'm Drew Cherry, editor-in-chief of Interfish.com. I am joined today by Nina Unlai in London, Demi Corbin in London, and John Evans in Brazil. Hello, everybody. Today is... Our UK edition, so we have plenty to talk about. Nina and Demi are just back from a trip to the seafood hub of Grimsby, and John's here to talk about his favorite topic, Brexit. Um, Nina and Demi, you are relatively new to seafood news, and so Grimsby is, is just one of those wonderful places that I like to visit, and I think I typically throw uh, new seafood journalists up there, and everyone's so accommodating about uh, letting us uh, take a look around and giving us an education about uh, the seafood industry. So I want to hear from you a bit about your trip, a bit about what you learned, a bit about what was surprising. So Nina, why don't you start and uh, and tell us a little bit about who you visited and um, and what you learned about um, the state of things in, in uh, Grimsby. Um, yeah, so... When we went to Grimsby, obviously there's a lot of seafood processors there, so we got um, to take a closer look at the operations of Pelagia, North Coast Seafoods, uh, Young's. We also visited the Grimsby Fish Market, which was a real experience. Um, and yeah, we just kind of got a better feel of what, what everyone was um, up to. So. Nina, tell me a little bit about Pelagia in particular. It's a, a Norway-based uh, pelagic giant. So in the fish meal sector and what's happening there in particular in the UK, um, what are their concerns? The Grimsby operation is their smallest operation they mentioned. It's only about 2%, 2.5% of their overall production. Um, and actually, it's not running at full capacity. And they said that's partially due to the availability of raw material. So they source most of their raw material from the local area, from uh, from other from the byproducts of other processors in Grimsby, um, and they get the rest of it from other places in the UK. But but their main concern, at least for the for the one in Grimsby in particular, was that there wasn't a lot of um, material available for them to work with, um, and that was impacting their their production. Um, and we, we did get to speak. Um, to one of the executives who said that it, it was kind of a trend that, that they're dealing with is the availability of raw material. And they're kind of having to focus on of getting more sustainable yields out of what they have by using other techniques, by working on their infrastructure development, because it's just kind of something that they have to deal with now. On a global level, there's alternative feeds um, and just kind of like, yeah, mostly it's the availability of raw material is what, what they were talking about. Demi, let's shift downstream a bit. Uh, you also visited Young's, uh, who is just now in, in new hands um, after a long and protracted process of looking for a buyer. What did they have to say, and uh, what's the mood uh, under new owners? Well, they're really excited about the new ownership because they see that they have big plans and they mentioned the fact that the CEO and many people from Caro already visited the facility and are trying to get to know the employees. So the employees are actually thrilled about that because they realize that the owners are really into the business. So it's not just picking it up and moving. So um, they're very excited about the new ownership. And there's much more news to come on the way as well. 
the impression we got was basically that there's just a lot of things happening at Young's and they're kind of like adapting to a lot of, of changes at the same time. But but at the same time, that was kind of generally the, the feeling we got from a majority of the companies that we visited at Grimsby is that they're all kind of like um, waiting to see what will happen and just, but but also at the same time, very kind of optimistic. Like I think a majority of them did talk about Brexit and they, they did also talk about how most of their mitigation plans has been just sort of um, reassuring the people that they work with in their supply chain that, that nothing really is going to change and that they have, as they have things in check. So, so I think there's a lot of things coming up and there's a lot of uncertainty in the air, but, but for most of the companies, it felt like they were very much aware and they were very much ready to kind of see just get things moving already and see what's going to happen next. John, you've uh, obviously covered this pretty extensively and um, being a, originally a Brit, know, know a lot about this. Um, so some of the main issues that are, are facing the, the Grimsby cluster there uh, include cold storage space, include uh, a staffing uh, since they have so many uh, so many uh, migrant workers uh, there in the processing facilities so um, is it your sense too from from the people that you've been discussing that there is a uh, there, there has been enough preparation for brexit in the UK seafood industry um, it's very difficult to tell but the, you know there are certain signals um, drew I mean I spoke recently to the um, the UK seafood industry Alliance seafood group in fact um, twice over the last uh, uh, few months or so and on, on the on the issue of cold storage interestingly with um, Britain um, looking like it may crash out after the uh, after 31st of October, uh, there may be this collision between the uh, the stocking up for Christmas of uh, of goods, which normally takes place, and the need to and the need to um, have go- have goods in place for for Brexit. So yeah, the the the, the, the cold storage um, issue certainly um, one that's going to be uh, we, we'll need to look at closely. Um, look also looking talking again to the UK Seafood Industry Alliance. Um, you know the, the uncertainty at the moment, which is hovering over the industry. You know they say they're saying it's co- already costing money, jobs, and opportunities for the future. So that goes a little bit against what's said. But I suppose in this sort of phony war period that we're in at the moment, with Parliament closed, there's a lot of froth going on. So it's you know you have to try and decipher you know what is actually going on at the moment. It's interesting because just hitting back on on Young's a bit, Demi. Um, I spoke to uh, Bill Showalter, a former or uh, outgoing CEO of Young's, earlier this week, um, and you know one of the things that clouded the entire sales process uh, was Brexit, and he said it just kind of hung over the whole process and really limited who would be interested in purchasing the company because very few people, even one, even though they may have had an interest in in uh, in Young's, and Young's was certainly in a compromising. Uh, position, uh, given given um, w- what it faced with its uh, with its uh, notes becoming due, um, that, that Brexit really limited the field because who wants to go in and invest uh, multi tens of millions of dollars in a company 
uh, when you have this huge uncertainty hanging over it. So that's been, um, it's not just affecting sort of operationally day to day what's happening with uh, seafood trade flows and how people plan their business, but also, uh, but also, you know, major, major deals. Um, I want to shift to, um, speaking of Brexit, John, you've talked about uh, PGI, um, but let's take a quick diversion, um, Demi and Nina, to uh, Alfred Enderby. Uh, it's a tr- traditional smokehouse in Grimsby, um, doing things in uh, pretty much the same way, I guess you could say, 100 years uh, after it started. Um, tell us a bit about that um, and just the experience of, of visiting that uh, factory. Um, and then, John, uh, you can talk to us a bit about uh, the PGI status and, and what's on people's minds with, uh, with that and Brexit. Visiting Alfred Enderby was actually very fascinating and magnificent. Um, the person who took over, his name's Patrick Salmon, which is kind of ironic, but um, basically he took over a very old family business and he's running it with such passion. And he differentiates himself from the rest of the smokehouses in Grimsby by the fact that he still does it so traditionally. And we actually see that in the smokehouse because you see a hundred years of tar piled up inside the smokehouse. And that's, that's just brilliant. Um, and he walked us through the whole process. So we got to see how the fish gets smoked. There was people filleting, they get their fish right fresh from the Grimsby fish market and we were actually able to see Patrick Salmon the next day in the auction and how he goes and chooses his fish and tries to find which one suits him best. Um, Mostly he smokes haddock and some salmon as well and uh, that the process happens overnight Um, and he believes that his prices are more expensive but he believes that they should be more expensive and that fish fish prices shouldn't decline. They should stay expensive because people just need to understand the value of the product rather than always nag about the prices only. So he was a character, but he was a very passionate character and and just seeing the whole smokehouse hands-on was was really good. Was that the sense that that you got uh, just in general from from Grimsby um, in terms of how people feel about the industry and, and the passion they feel? It seems... In the times that I've visited, what struck me the most is that uh, you truly have a dedicated group of people that it's not about, it's not just a job. Um, it's really a passion both for their companies and both for the industry and the, and the industry's place in the city of Grimsby. I think Grimsby, and, and I think Patrick Salomon is a, is a good kind of like person who represents all of that because obviously he took over a smokehouse that's been there like for a hut for, for so long um, and has kind of seen Grimsby through the different phases. Um, and I think that was the most fascinating thing to learn about Grimsby is how, how it kind of had to morph and still, still stay so dedicated to its identity as a fishing center. Um, and I think Patrick talked about this a little about how how he's happy that despite all the changes, people still believe in, in, in Grimsby as its fishing center, despite having some misconceptions about the fact that they're no longer really a fishing port, but more of a, of a shipping importing um, center. Um, and I think that's really interesting because everyone in Grimsby seems to have embraced this and they're, and they're trying with different efforts to kind of bring that, that brand up 
that to build on that heritage that the town has, um, despite despite the changes in in the way that they they get it done. Yeah, I, I've always had the same impression that it's it's a there's a lot of passion there in that in that community, and it's um, it makes it a, a you know an interesting place to. Uh, to visit and a good microcosm for, I think, the entire seafood industry. Um, John, uh, uh, moving just back again to Brexit and um, the PGI status that Alfred Enderby uh, has for its smoked haddock. Um, so this is an issue that's been uh, another, you know, another sort of thorn in the side of the seafood industry. Tell us a bit about what PGI is. Um, and tell us what it might mean with with Brexit, because it will affect uh, haddock producers uh, in Grimsby, um, and I believe Scottish salmon as well. Is that correct? And there may be another, I think maybe Cornish pilchards. I'm not sure entirely, but just give us a picture of of uh, of what it's uh, what it could mean. Yes, certainly the Scottish uh, salmon producers are watching the situation closely, as well as the the others you mentioned, and. Uh, yeah, to be granted the European Union's protected geographical indicator uh, designation, the PGI products, um, they must be traditionally and at least partially prepared, uh, processed or produced within a specific region and uh, be deemed to have acquired unique properties. Um, in countries where PGR, PGI laws are enforced, only products which uh, meet the uh, various geographical and quality criteria may use that uh, protective indication um, and it, it, as regards for Grimsby fish smokers have been left in the dark over uh, the UK government plans for a branded scheme uh, designed to replace the uh, PGI the, U- the European Union's PGI scheme for products once the European uh, sorry once the U- United Kingdom does leave um, the EU which is as we know uh, scheduled for the 31st of October um, this this is because the UK government has not made it clear whether it will offer reciprocal protection for European goods uh, granted uh, PGI status under a new planned replacement scheme. Um, I did speak to a, a leading intellectual property lawyer earlier and uh, she uh, told me, Fiona McBride, um, she told me that the future of uh, protected food name status will remain uncertain until there is further clarity about the terms of, uh, on which Britain is uh, leaving the EU. And um, so, she, I mean, what she said to me was that clearly for UK uh, food-based and uh, food and drink-based businesses, uh, a no-deal Brexit is the most damaging scenario. Uh, but she said if there is a withdrawal agreement, the UK will have time to negotiate a more favourable outcome. But we just don't know where this is going yet because there's so much which could happen um, from between now and the end of October and particularly from the start of September when uh, Parliament returns. So, John, uh, Boris Johnson is now in the, in the PM seat um, and as you said, we have now, um, he's giving all indications that uh, the end of October, um, the UK is going to crash out regardless. Um, just for, for uh, those that are, are outside of the UK, are trying to get to grips with what this might mean, people selling product into the UK, people purchasing from the UK, what, what do they really need to know at this stage and what should they be doing to prepare uh, in in your opinion, 
I think that the thing you're asking is, uh, you know, they need to know what the tariffs are, you know, um, and, you know, whether they can, we don't know whether they'll be able to get that through the, the you know, the, um, you know, the ports, because the, the French appear better prepared, but the British don't, and the British are, um, you know, it, there have been reports that the British need to hire thousands of uh, customs officers on, on, on the British side. So, so basically, if you're selling into the UK or purchasing from the UK, uh, you're, you're a bit in the dark until you know what the tariffs are going to be and until we see what may happen starting in November. Um, but I, I, it's, you know, it seems to me that there's a lot of reason to fear that there's going to be uh, a significant amount of, of chaos. Now, some people have prepared. Uh, you uh, actually were, were sitting in on a Canadian seafood company, Clearwater's conference call earlier this week. Um, and, uh, and they see it as a, as a real um, a business advantage that they've put a lot of effort into thinking about Brexit. And as you say, it may be too late for other companies. But what do they mean by that? Yeah, well, they've been repositioning stockers or inventory as much as they can uh, within European borders. And they say that their customers um, have been doing the same. So, um, but, I mean, they do. They did say in the call that, you know, they, they expect that they'll be ahead of their um, competitors and this will give them a competitive advantage. I don't know how they would know that because, um, you know, how do you know exactly what your competitors are, are doing? But um, they appear pretty confident about that. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how this all plays out, and uh, of course, we'll be covering it very closely. and uh, And we have been, and it's been, you know, our heads have been spinning as much as as the industry's had uh, has trying to trying to figure this all uh, this all out. Uh, Demi, just uh, taking you back a bit to the Grimsby fish market. You've also um, you've been to the Billingsgate market as well, so you you're familiar with fish markets, but. How did that strike you in in, um, uh, in that that process? And you know, it's it's a bit of a, of a um, you know an, an uh, anachronism now to have a open fish market. The the world's changing quite quickly. But what was your sense there? Um, you see the the fish market surviving into the into the future. Well, first of all, I would say that Billingsgate market is completely different than Grimsby because Billingsgate is open to the public and anyone can just go there and buy fish but whereas Grimsby is just an auction and traders actually have to be registered in order to be able to go in and buy their fish and we mostly see just one species there which is Icelandic haddock and Icelandic cod whereas in Billingsgate you have fish from everywhere and so Grimsby is very local in terms of the fish market but Billingsgate is more international and has a different kind of angle. But I do see fish markets uh, striving in the future, even though the general, the general sense I got from Grimsby is that they're all reminiscent of the past and they all think about Grimsby being the best and like it was the best. And now that it's not as strong and that people change their perspective, perception of what Grimsby is, like Nina said earlier, that Grimsby was a place that used to land all its fish, but now they just import their fish. So the whole idea of that fish market changed in my perspective. 
But I think as long as that local market is there, and as long as this passion is there, then nothing's really going to touch that fish market. So the overarching impression, it sounds like, that that, uh, that you took away, uh, Demi and Nina, is that um, there seems to be an overriding optimism, uh, despite all the uncertainty of Brexit. And do you think that's genuine? Do you think that there really is an, an optimism or is it kind of whistling through the graveyard? So when we went to the Grimsby fish market, we got to speak with uh, Martin Boyers. And I think he put it nicely. Um, is that He said that there, there's nothing necessarily unique about what they do, but that they're in the ideal position to do what they do in that um, back in the 60s, 70s, when they when they built up Grimsby for what it is, all these processors started setting up. Um, and despite the changes that happened and that they now have to import their fish, this the fish still needs to be processed and the fish still needs to be there. So despite all the changes that may happen, I mean, fish is still going to have to come into the UK and it's still going to need to be processed in Grimsby where, where there are so many processors. And that's just going to keep happening regardless of of, of what what comes next. So so I, in a way, I think their position is quite solid in that that's the system that's in place. And regardless of the outside factors, it's just going to stay that way. So in a way, their optimism is kind of sound. Um, and the pride, I think, is just it's very nostalgic and very sentimental. And I think that's 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 coming from a real place. And I just want to add one thing when they were talking about Brexit. Uh, one thing that we need to note is that they actually all voted for Brexit. So so Grimsby is known for actually voting for Brexit. But then suddenly when, when things came through, um, they wanted to opt out of their decision. And so now the general perspective of how they think about Brexit in terms of the fishing industry is that no matter what happens, whether there's a no deal or not, uh, people are still going to eat fish. I heard that sentence a dozen of times while I was in Grimsby. People are going to eat fish, but the system around it may change. So no one's really worried about Brexit because they are very proud of their fish and they think that nothing's really going to touch that, even if Brexit's, Brexit comes in the way. Well, that's great to hear. And it seems like the confidence in the UK seafood industry remains strong. And as you said, I think the trends toward um, toward, toward consuming more fish globally is is on the uh, on the right direction. Let's hope that uh, that optimism is is founded. Well, thanks everyone for joining us. We'll be back next week on schedule. We will be at the Aquanor show uh, within the coming two weeks, and uh, Nina and I will have some news from from that. Don't forget too, we have our salmon summit on the twenty first, co located with Aquanor. And, uh, and we have a fantastic lineup. We'll be exploring uh, the Norway's development licenses and the innovations that are happening there in salmon farming. So if you are in Trondheim on the 21st, please come join us. Uh, 